Last One to the Party, a podcast where we check in with someone checking out a longtime classic for the very first time. Today, we're going to talk about a movie that has meant so much to me in my lifetime, A Woman Under the Influence. It is a film written and directed by John Cassavetes, and it stars the great Jenna Rollins, who happened to also be his wife. They made many, many movies together, and it co-stars Peter Falk, who is excellent as well. I find this movie, and I find it with a lot of actors, to be a game changer. And my husband, James, had never seen it, so we watched it the other night. And I guess let's open the floor with what were your first impressions after how about just when it started even before the end i don't know if it counts as cinema verite strictly speaking it's clearly that where he's just trying to capture moments Mm -hmm. and you see the guys working in the river and then they come on the truck and so on and so forth as soon as peter falk opens his mouth i'm interested because i think he's so specific and so unique i love seeing and hearing him in movies so i knew i knew he was in this movie so i was there was a little like like a primal reaction almost of like, hooray, Peter Falk. And then the, the movie starts and there's some hint of them referring to his wife and then they bring everybody over. She sends the kids off. They bring the, the, the family over, the other coworkers over for dinner. And then this is when the movie starts to shift for me. Even before that, though, they're supposed to have a romantic night. So she sends the kids off only because there's a big thing that happens before they come to dinner. <laughs> Spoiler alert, where she goes out drinking and brings someone home to their house. Oh, right, right. And even then, you see that her behavior is erratic. Yes. And and so that's when I start to feel like I'm not sure what movie I'm in. I guess to the like my, the lead for me on this is I think this is an important movie to have been made. I don't know that it's a movie that I want to watch. In that I think that it breaks down a lot of barriers and it shows the potential for what people can do with film and in a movie and how to tell a story. But I just, I found it tough to sit through and stay interested in. And there was a couple of reasons why. I was really trying to figure out as I was watching it, what is frustrating me about this movie? Okay, tell. It feels like too much is improvised. And it's the kind of improvisation that actors do in acting classes where everything has to be a confrontation and everything ends up being repeated questions. And it seems to the other actors in the class and to the acting teacher, it feels real. But anytime I'm in those situations, I just, it's alarm bells are going off of none of you are paying attention. All of you are eager to just emote. And it felt like a lot of that where it was like very expressionistic in that way. And I was just, uh, it just, it makes me cringe is an overstatement, but it just makes it just sort of like, oh, it makes me hesitate to get into it. The other thing, and we can go back and you can, you can address these things as well. Cause I want to hear your thoughts on it too. And then the other thing that drove me nuts is I think stems from this thing of this improvisation thing, which again, I think is an important thing to have made this film this way so that other people can be inspired by it and kind of hone that tool. It drove me nuts that Peter Falk was so loving towards her and saying, be yourself. But then when she was herself, he would say things like, get down off that couch or I'm going to knock you off that couch. 
that's crazy to me because he's contradicting himself within the span of a minute. And that was driving me nuts because he's either, I feel like he would either want her to be herself and love her for being herself and accept her for being herself, who's struggling clearly with some sort of mental illness on some degree, that he would stick by that. But he he's vacillating so radically and with such, again, such strong emotion that it just is crazy. And, and he turns on people, other people in the movie too, where he's like, come on over, have a drink, come here, blah, blah, blah. Get out of my house, Sydney! And you're just like, what? It just was too much back and forth. And I didn't really understand what she was talking about when she would be talking about certain things. And I know that part of that is her depiction of the mental illness, but there was so much that just was like, I don't know what the story that's being told here is. It seems it's very impressive in terms of her being a terrific actor. And I've enjoyed her in other things that I've seen. I still have a real strong memory of how much I enjoyed seeing Gloria for the first time. And that was really the first time that I saw Jenna Rollins and and was impressed by her and kind of, you know, in that way that you fall in love with an actor, not in a creepy, I'm going to send you inappropriate fan letters, but just like, oh, she's great. I love her. That was the first time. And so I've always had a real like soft spot for anything that she's in, anything. But in this, I just was sort of losing the thread of like, what are we doing here? And in terms of her committing to her performance, it was all there. Everything that she does was masterful. It kind of like, again, to, you know, for frequent listeners of our podcast, the comparison that I could make to jazz music would be John Coltrane was a masterful musician, not only a masterful saxophonist, but a masterful musician. But some of that real late stuff that he does, I just don't want to hear it. It's important that he made it because I think it kicks down some walls for other people to sort of hone and shape and not have it be so raw. But I don't want to listen to Coltrane live in Japan where it's just a huge free jazz excursion for two hours. And so to me, it was of a piece with that, where it was like, Peter Falk is great. Jenna Rollins is great. The other people who were supporting actors all did a terrific job. I just had a hard time staying in it as a movie. And I and as I was thinking that while I was watching it, I was also worried, oh, does this make me a dum-dum? Like I need to have, <laughs> do I really need just like a very narrative plot, a very linear plot to stay interested? I don't think I am. I think that maybe of those kinds of more avant-garde films, this one just didn't resonate for me. But I know that while we were watching it, you were incredibly moved by it. And I want to sort of figure out what I'm missing. (laughs) Um, I'll address a couple things. I mean, obviously, everyone has their own aesthetic and like what you... I mean, and John Cassavetes is very specific and he makes a very specific kind of film and that's what he wanted. He was not interested in a linear plot. He was not interested in, you know, we start here, we move here, we go there. It was much, very much about the characters and moments of people's lives and connection. And to to interrupt, sorry, to just to interrupt, and to that end, that he succeeds at it, I think is whatever criticisms I have for it are not a criticism of him. He achieved what he wanted to do. I never thought for a minute that he was like, oh, I really screwed that up. You know what I mean? Like you're describing, what you're describing is what he did. But for me, it just, I sort of was like, huh? But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't no, mean to it's fine. I think, no, 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 no. And it does feel very improvised in the film, but they swear, I've heard this many times, it is not improvised. He wrote the whole thing. Um, he has been on record saying, and I quote, 
No, the entire script was written and there were no improv- improvisations whatsoever. Well, then hats off to them even more because <laughs> that's a hard thing to do. That's another that's another accomplishment in terms of craft and and artistry that is truly awesome and amazing. Again, I was just sort of left <laughs> like it didn't connect to me, but I'm I'm really impressed by that. Because I know that at the end it said written by John Cassavetes. And you know, as I saw that credit come up, I was like, all right, whatever you say. So if they swear that it was written, then hats off, because it to make a script feel that improvised is that's that's an achievement. Yes. The um when I was researching facts about the film, because I got, you know, very into once I saw that movie, I was like, what else did they make together? And I also love opening night, which I think they made after this, which you might like more. It's more linear. Not, you know, there, there's a definite story being told more than this one. I think the story here is one of a couple missing each other and of a woman. I think it's a look at being a woman in a marriage and also just being kind of a free spirited woman. And yes, eventually she does, I think, have a, she does have a breakdown. But it's also like there's not a lot of bandwidth for her to be eccentric at all. Everyone responds to her like she's insane. And it's like she's playing with the kids, like that scene when the kids come over and they're dancing and they go upstairs and they're – I mean, it's like calm down. It's I think it's kind of responding to this woman who's eccentric. But I feel like before in the movie, the kids are dressed. They go to school. They live in a beautiful home. It's clean. It's not like they're living in some – as you would say, it's not – a it's not gray gardens. I mean, they're not living with cat poop and people that don't use a bathroom. Not that that's a high bar, but to me, I think a part of that is that. And he himself, John Cassavetti says he did not want to approach it as um, a crazy person movie. He, he thought of himself as being, he would say I was half crazy. And I think I'm everyone's verging on some kind of insanity. And then it was supposed to be a movie about women, um, and like when you don't fit in this place of being frustrated with not having any freedom of, you know, like she has to stay home and she has, she's expected to do these certain things. And yes, it's pushing those outer edges, but I think that's what he was trying to go for. And that's where I feel like you can't have it both ways because they show multiple times where she has gone past the edge of that, because that's a story that I think is really interesting. And all of those people would do a fantastic job at telling that story of her being really gregarious and a free spirit and kind of, you know, whatever that was, because there were elements of that. But then with, and you're right, playing with the kids was, you know, when the guy got upset about that, I was I'm with you hundred percent. They're having fun. She's like, come on, you know, the Swan Lake died. Yeah. Dying. So that's a hundred percent. It's also funny. I thought it was funny. She's like, die for him, die for him. They're dying for you. Clap. I was like, hilarious. Yeah. That is unassailable that she is. That to me is an interesting examination of that person being clamped down because she's too much of that free spirit. But then there's times where she's just incoherent. And so she she is gone beyond just being unfairly boxed in. She is then a person who does need medical attention because she's just, she's goes out and she's talking to that guy in the bar, the first scene. And like, that's not oh, yeah. right, you know? And then when she's like, having these weird reactions when the, when all the workers come over and she's the way that she's relating to them at first is just very innocent and very tender and very sweet. And then it becomes something off. 
And that's your first hint of something's wrong here. And then when she has that complete breakdown, it's like, that's where I feel like you don't get to have it again. You don't get to have it both ways of this is a condemnation of our society and how it treats women who are free spirits. And if this was a man who was a free spirit, he'd be lionized. Right. But she goes into the point of, of actual madness for a shortcut word to describe it. And so I feel like you can't say that it is that thing when you're showing her going off the deep end. That's the messiness for me of that movie, I think, to finish my thought. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I feel like, but I, but see, I like the messiness because I feel like what he's showing is, is that this is where she could live, but because the reaction she gets is, sit down, be quiet. Of course she's going to go mad. It's like she... <laughs> Like she even says a couple of times, I don't know how to act. Like what is appropriate anymore? And she just gets, I mean, it also shows to me the shortcomings and the madness of the Peter Falk character. Like he has no emotional depth to deal with this woman. He screams at her. He hits her. She's, she's yelled at by everyone in her life to be quiet and sit in a place. I mean, so it's like, yes, I mean, this is in my head. It's years and years of this happening to where she's pushed to that point. Yeah, I, and and right? it didn't strike me as that that caused her to go as far as she did with her mental illness. That that just didn't connect with me. I don't know if that's just because it's you know the male viewer of it is not assessing responsibility for that to the men in that movie for that. But I think that that's a valid point that this is years of that because I did think while watching it. I just thought, oh, I know how he fell for her. Like, I get it. I know what that was. Do you know what I mean? I know that he was like, wow, she's such a free spirit and I'm such a lockdown blue collar guy. Like, this is liberating. But then as that kept going, I just think she probably, it to me, it read more like she's got actual mental health issues that are becoming exacerbated by her having to take care of three kids and take care of a husband who's working, you know, round the clock. Yeah. And also has no tools to deal with anyone. I mean, he has no emotional tools at all. Yeah. She was, she was the person that he got attracted to because she was so the opposite of him, but she was at no point the woman he should have married. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know who he should have married. Honestly, he, he should have married a housewife who was, you know, a woman who was happy to be a 50s style housewife. That would have been perfect for that character, I think. I mean, I think they show very clearly they have a very sexual attraction to each other, right? That's where they keep coming back to, like, right? That's where they kind of meet. Yes. And I also think that's interesting. I don't think you see that a lot in movies when it's that clear, like that's where they have to get to. And like, I like when she says near the end, she comes back after they send her away, spoiler alert. Um, and she's like, Nikki and I need to go to bed together. Everybody's like, oh, you know, oh my God, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't talk like that. Yeah. Don't talk like that. And they treat her like a child again. And part of me is like, this woman knows what she needs. Leave. Like it's, which I, I also like, like I'm with you. I think she definitely needs help. And that's part of it. But I also feel like it's a lot of the movie you're seeing someone being told how to be and do their whole lives. And they're just kind of, it's unraveling, but it doesn't feel like just out of nowhere. It feels like, well, look who she's surrounded by. Like when she, when the mother-in-law comes over, who's PS played by John Cassavetti's mother and she's screaming, she's crazy. She's crazy. And, and you just feel for her because she wants to be with her kids. And it's like, they're, you know, holding her from her kids. And she has that great scene when she picks the kids up from the school bus, I'm jumping all over this movie, but she, not that it matters, it's not a linear movie. She picks them up from the school bus and she says the three best things she's done and she talks about her children. And I just, that kills me. It makes me cry. I could cry now talking about it because I feel like 
she did do a great job and she doesn't get a lot of credit for that in that movie. Um, and then you see when Peter Falk has to take care of the three kids, he's a nightmare. He's just as bad as she, I think he's worse than she is. She actually is loving and does things and he's screaming at them and pulling at them and doesn't let them do what they want. And then gives them beer, which a little bit of beer is the seventies, like whatever, but like, you don't give them the full beer. Yeah. He's handing out beers to this. The oldest kid is what? Nine, nine. Yeah. yeah. Him having to take care of those kids by himself was nuts. I can't imagine what those six months would have been. I mean, as soon as she walked through the door, those kids would have just glommed onto her leg and not let her go. But again, I think it's that's where the movie tries to have it both ways, because I think the intent of it is what you're describing, that these people are trying to put her in a box. They overreact to her, this and that and the other thing. But by the same token, she does things that are wildly, in a, not wildly inappropriate, but but large gestures on her part where you should, any normal, reasonable person would say, hey, you need to tone it down a little, Mabel. And so that's where they try to have it both ways of, and I understand that that's sort of real life is messy that way. That's kind of the point, right? It's messy. Yeah. But I think for this, for me, for the structure of storytelling, I, I wanted it to be a little more, a little cleaner. I was reminded of a, I think it's similar, a Christine Lottie movie from, I think it was the 90s or late 80s called Housekeeping, where she plays the real free-spirited I think it's aunt who comes to live and everybody is just, they can't handle her, but she's really just a free spirit who's, I don't remember if she has mental issues or not, mental health issues or not. But this to me is the, the dichotomy of this for me is the part that I struggle with having patience for because kind of crossing that 180 degree line with this. And that's where I got impatient and somewhat frustrated with the movie was was that aspect because i do understand all of that within inside of it but it just seemed like everybody went too far on both sides of this equation she would go too far and the reactions would go too far and the reactions would sometimes go too far when it was nothing like the kids dancing swan lake but then the reactions would go too far when it was something and maybe it was deserving to be it sort of left me like at sea of like i'm not sure where we are in this i I hear you but there was that one scene i guess it's the it's the main breakdown scene about a third of the way through the movie where you were really overcome by that and i'm i clearly was missing something the one where the doctor comes yeah yeah oh when she saying it's when her pleading with him it's you and me nick it's always us yeah because uh, i think she feels like he's the one person that ever got her and he's supposed to have her back and he's gonna give her away it kills me she put all her trust in this man and he's listen i know she's out of control at that moment but also he has also exacerbated it I don't know. It just killed me. I feel like it's someone saying like, it's always been you and me. We made a promise and you're breaking this promise and I can't believe you won't do it. You won't do it. And the way she goes through all the different tactics of it just breaks my heart. It's like just pleading for your life. And it's, it's, uh, it's so (sighs) tragic. It's so hard to watch. And yet at the same time, I couldn't look away. I was so her performance moves me so much. I don't, it's, it's uh, so masterful. It's, I, I can't, I just watch it and I'm lost. It doesn't feel like a performance. I had a, used to have an acting teacher who was like, you can have positive role distance, which means when you watch the movie, you're like, that person's great. Negative role distance. That person's really bad. Or what you want is no role distance, meaning you don't even think of it's good or bad because you're so in it. And I feel like to me, that's what this performance is. I don't even think good or bad. I'm just lost in that's Mabel and I'm watching 
like a documentary. It doesn't feel like acting. She, especially in that whole performance, it was completely transparent. You just, or you feel like you're just watching this character, Mabel, go through all of these things. I mean, I will say, I mean, I love, I love the movie. I will say, I feel like uh, it, you could easily chop off 45 minutes of it. For me, I don't, I, I like the flavor of Peter Falk at his work, but I'm like, I don't need all those long shots of them working or it's like, I get who he is. And I like the scenes with all the guys at the table. I actually like that. And I like the scene when he has, she's coming home and he brings everyone to the house and you're sitting there like, oh my God, why would you ever do that? That's the worst thing you could ever do. And then I like when the mom's like, get them out of here. And it's, he's so I love when Peter Falk is like, you have to do it. I can't do it. It's There are moments like that that I feel like you never see that in a movie. They're so poignant. They're so truthful. When, you know, this grown man is like, I can't do it. You have to do it for me, mom. And like that relationship with him and his mom, that's also kind of problematic, but also so real. Like, it's great. And I mean, the scene that killed one, I mean, there's so many that kill me that I love so much. Um, But the one... Uh, near the end when she's talking to her dad and she says, stand up for me. I'm going to cry now. And he stands up and the mother says, don't you see what she's saying to you? And to me, it's that thing of like, she's never had anyone stand up for her. She's like, dad, you should be standing up for me. You should be the one telling these people to like that protector you want. Ooh, it kills me. Just, I mean, to me, that movie would be worth it if it was just that one scene. It's so searing it's so oh it's um it kills me and i know because i know you i know that you've mentioned that scene to me several times and seeing it i was a little confused and what i what i filled it in with was that she's seeing that peter falk is not doesn't have her back right now in that moment after she's returned he's not supporting her so she's turning to her next that's right male figure right in this patriarch next next (laughs) male figure who should be her ally who should be her 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 supporter and that's why she's saying stand up because we haven't seen again and this was another thing where i and, and again maybe this goes to my sort of like simplification of what i need from a movie but we hadn't seen anything about her relationship with her dad throughout this movie and so for in in the 11th hour for her to suddenly turn to him and say stand up for me i thought okay i don't know who this guy is i don't know if he has stand, stood up for her in the past and is not now or if he's never stood up for her and she's always wanted him to or if she you know what i mean i have no idea what the relationship is so i understand what you're saying about what that moment means but for me i didn't have any context for it because i didn't know anything about the 360 degree relationship there of both of them together so i get that she's like you should stand up for me dad in just the basics of like a father-daughter relationship but in terms of their specific relationship i didn't have any context for that for that to to resonate more fully oh see i i think it's there i think when they come home and it's the dad and the mom bring them in and then she sits with her dad and 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 he keeps telling them she's fine she's fine like leave her alone basically and she sits almost on his lap and hugs him and kisses his head to me that's so like reverting back to this is my safe space 
And then when they go in there and Peter Falk, like you said, it is confusing, but I kind of like that he's a mess. Like he's like, I want you to be you, but he really doesn't. Like he wants her to be the fun part of her. But then when she gets a little too fun or not fun or whatever i mean fun is a euphemism if she gets a little too her energy gets too big he's uh, come back down come back down so it's like she can't win by the time they get to the the table and she says she's trying to fit what's going to make everyone feel comfortable right because they're all staring at her waiting for her to i don't know what like who can perform under that pressure and then when peter falk is just like can't again failing uh, I think that's when she turns to her dad. To me, it all I I, I did. I guess I put that together myself. I think we did have s- from the other scene some knowledge of it, but I also feel like I don't need a whole. For me, I don't need a scene or a backstory or a story. I I kind of feel like the movie isn't about that. It's about like we're just gonna jump in the middle of the story and we're gonna go with like these moments and you're gonna put it together from there, which I liked and I can understand that it was didn't that just didn't work for you. My other question for you about this movie is when, how did you come to see this the first time? Because I, it strikes me that Cassavetes is fairly off the beaten path. And so for someone to, to get to his movies, it requires a little bit of effort when, when it's not of the time, when you're not in 1974 and he's doing these exciting new art house kind of films and you're not in the zeitgeist of it. How do you come to it so many years later? I feel like I saw it when I was at the new actors workshop. And I think I loved all these films with all these men in them. And when a guy in my class who was a little older than me was like, what is going on with you? Like, why are you so angry? Which later I would find out why, but he was like, you should be watching more women. And I think he told me to check out these movies. And I did. And I was like, oh, I'm in love. I want to. So that's how I found it. And then once I found that movie, I just started watching them. And, you know, Scorsese is a huge fan of Cassavetes, which I think you can see some of, you know, he takes some of that Cassavetes stuff into his films, the way it looks, some of the shooting of it, the style, I should say. And it's a very, not famous, but Cassavetes made that film, A Woman Under the Influence, all on his own, not through a studio. Uh, Peter Falk put up like something like $500,000 of his own money to finish the film, you know, that Columbo money. And, you know, no one would, he had to, Cassavetes had to distribute it himself. He had written it originally as a play for Jenna Rollins because she wanted to do something about modern women feeling trapped. And he wrote this and she was like, I love it, but I can't do this eight times a week. I'll go insane. Um, So he made it a film. So Scorsese at one point, I think, uh, you know, he had a film in the, was it the New York Film Festival? And, you know, no one, Cassavetes is like floundering with his film and he needs it to go or he can't, you know, he, I think he'd mortgage his house to make it. It's like truly like the person that's like making this from nothing. Right. And uh, Scorsese told the New York Film Festival, they either show Cassavetes, you know, a woman under the influence, or he's going to pull his film, which was, um, it was either Alice doesn't live here anymore or Italian American, one of those. And so they showed it. And that was kind of Cassavetti's like breakthrough because then it started getting reviewed and people loved it and getting noticed. And then he gets nominated for best director. Jenna Rollins gets nominated for best actress. Um, and then he gets to make more movies. I mean, it's a labor of love and it has a definite style and a definite, uh, you know, tone. And I, I don't, and I get it. I don't think it's for everybody. I don't think it makes you <laughs> not smart. I just think it's not 
It is very... It's very freeform. I think yeah. for me, it comes back yeah. to just being that very freeform thing. And again, to go back to my go-to, there's been things that I've played for you that are more free jazz things that you don't have any patience for. <laughs> understandably like i do i would be surprised if you did and so i think this maybe falls a little bit in that category if you're not really i agree i agree with you i think it is kind of like that uh, that and you either are gonna love it because that music you hear it or you don't hear it and i think this is what this movie is and it doesn't mean you can't hear it i just mean it's like it's you hear it but you're like i don't yeah i get it but i'm not interested in that way or if you hear it you're like oh my god where else can I hear this music? I want this. I think part of it also is if you've seen a lot of movies and then you see this movie, you yes. will be kind of opened up or relieved or excited because it's, it again, it's a similar thing with music. If you're, especially if you're a musician and you're delving into all of this music when you're studying it, when you hear something that breaks from that thing that you're immersed in, suddenly you're seeing different color palettes or whatever it is. And I think there's an aspect of that to this movie. And and it may be that, you know, I don't see enough movies or it may just be that I, you know, whatever, I don't know. Um, I've already said all the self-criticisms and concerns that I have about me being a cinematic simpleton. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's that. I really do think it's, I think it's two things. Um, I think it's one that it is, if we're going to equate it to jazz, it's a very abstract jazz, A. And B, and I, you're my husband and I love you, so this is no shade. It is such a female journey. It is truly a movie that plays, I think, I think a lot of women will, not all women, of course, but a lot of women see themselves in that. From years of being told how to be, what's acceptable, how you are supposed to be a woman. And yes, it goes too far. You're right. She's messy. It's over the edge. She does need help. All these things are true. But that part, that to me is the heightening of what makes it a movie. But to me, I think immediately as a woman, you're like, oh, I get that. If, if, if I, if, if you and I, you know, barely see each other and this is the night you're supposed to come home and I don't have anything else in my life but our children and you don't come home. Uh, me as Jessica, I mean, I have enough in my life and- raised with enough shame to never leave the house and go out like on Sunset Boulevard or whatever. Um, that scene is also so upsetting because it just shows another man. It's like, clearly he should bring her home and drop her off. The fact that he even tried to have sex with her is disgusting. To me, the bigger takeaway is that man is gross and men that would go home with women that are that drunk and have sex with them. They're like, the takeaway is that guy's sick, not her. That guy's sick. Like people should be human enough to not take advantage of people that way. Anyways, I'm going on a tangent, but to me, that's another thing, you know. And when she wakes up and she has that moment of like, oh, like she's even like, oh God. And then I like when she's like, get out of here. And then she kind of has, she can't believe she did it. So she has that moment where she calls him her husband's name. Cause it's almost like she can't, like she had, right? She has kind of flip it in her head. Well, see, that was a, so yeah. So two things. So the, so the last thing first, when she calls him her husband's name, I was unclear as to whether that was a, an indication of her mental instability or whether it's the thing that you're describing. And so then to go back to the very first thing of this is a woman's story, I, I was aware of that too. And, and as I'm watching it, I'm trying to, to step outside my own 
prejudices of how things ought to be or how people ought to be expected to behave or, or those things. So I was, I was struggling with that as well. Um, but I agree in that scene when he drives her home, I was so hoping that when they pulled up and she's essentially passed out in the front yeah. seat of the car, she's that he out. is just going to put her in bed and go home. And we're yes. going to have this near miss of, of an affair, not an affair, but you know, a near miss of a one night stand. But then he, you know, he, we cut to him waking up in bed with her or waking up, you know, whatever, you know, having just gotten out of bed with her. Yeah. I think it is a lot of, I think it's just that she's so hurt that that's where the hurt's coming out. And that's a hurt in a way that, I don't know, I find it, it's horrifying because she doesn't want to have sex with that dude, but she also doesn't want to be alone. She sent the kids off and this night or weekend, it feels like was supposed to be a real healing salve for her yes and now it's not happening because of this water main breaking yes and he doesn't call her yeah he doesn't call her until the 11th hour yeah and the, took a guy at work saying you should call your wife and he's afraid that she's gonna go off it's like you're horrible he's like he's making it 10 times worse you know by the time he calls she's been drinking for two hours whatever you know waiting for him and now she's sitting there waiting doesn't know where he is because you know this is pre- anything cell phone whatever so she's sitting there waiting in her house and she bought like she bought sexy lingerie she had everything ready one of the big takeaways from that movie was what a mess nick was the character of nick was just a hot, he was every bit a hot mess as she was and maybe that's another maybe that's another point of the movie that they didn't connect with at the time but he's a complete hot mess that's making everybody around him crazy like he's he's almost bipolar in the way that he talks to people because he's suddenly screaming at people and <laughs> talking about knocking them on their ass and then confiding in them. And it's just, uh, you couldn't stand to be around a guy like that in real life. Yeah. I feel like he's just, you know, it, it feels like another person just struggling to connect and he doesn't know how to do it. And so it's like too, he has too much love and that just turns to too much rage back to too much love to too much rage. Right. You understand the passion they have. And at, at one point where she even says, you know, we the scene that killed me, I think it's when she says, you know, and I was pregnant when we got married. I think kind of alluding to. Right. Maybe we got married because I was pregnant. Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw again, I saw that as being, you know, I could fill in the gaps and predict how their relationship went. Before she even said that again, he found her and he's this straight laced blue collar guy with limited ambition. He sees this very colorful free spirit. He's drawn to her. They have a sexual attraction. They, she gets pregnant, they get married. And then he thinks that she's going to change. He thinks that she's going to become a housewife. I mean, it's 1974 when this film comes out. So it's shot in 1973 you know, we're not fully in the women's lib. It hasn't taken full root yet. There's still, has I it, think. Has it even taken root <laughs> well, now? We're still fighting for our rights over our bodies. Yes, yes, yes. Of course. I, but I think. <laughs> I'm making a joke, but not. It's a sad truth. No, but, but, I I but the, ex like, the expectation yeah. of what a woman's role is in the home. Yeah. And there's st it's still fraught with difficulties. I grant you that. But it's not an unheard as unheard of now as it was then that a woman would have a job and a career of her own while also being married and having kids. So to that end, 
he married her after they got pregnant. And I think that classic fatal flaw of the man expects the woman to change and she's not going to change. You know, she shouldn't have to change. She's not hurting anybody. But the more you keep hammering away at her, the more you're damaging her. And and maybe. Yeah. The more you try to put it in the box. Maybe that's lighting a fuse on whatever intrinsic mental illness that she had. Because again, what we're, what we're seeing is clearly somebody who's got mental issues. And so, you know, that can't just be caused by people telling her to, you know, sit down and be quiet. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, that's not my experience of life. I haven't been told to be quiet my whole life. I mean, I have, but I don't listen to them. I hear what you're saying. And I just, I mean, this is one of those cases where it's agree to disagree. I just saw a different movie. <laughs> I don't walk away with feeling like that didn't, I needed it to be this clear cut. They can't have it both ways. To me, it's like they can. That's what the movie is. That's what life is. It, it, it is all of that. And that's what I loved about it. I, again, my only criticism is it's too long. Yeah, it's two and a half hours long and it's- It's too long. It's 30 minutes too long easily. Yeah, easily. But there's I just, there's images in it I love. I love that the kids are so real. It, that scene, and I mean, I could go on all the scenes. I love the scene when she comes home and she wants to see the kids and, he, and Peter Falk is like, no. What are you talking about? No, she hasn't seen her kids in six months. Are you crazy? And the mother-in-law says, let her see her kids, of course, which I also liked because I thought the mother-in-law is also interesting as well because at first she's like, oh, she's horrible, but then she's protecting her son. But then at the same time, she's another woman who is saying, of course, she's going to see her children. Like you don't stop a mother from seeing her kids. And when she goes in and and he has those extreme close-ups of her face, which are very, to me, reminiscent of George Stevens, who always did the extreme close-ups, right? Because so much feeling. And she keeps saying to them, I have to keep it together. I can't get too animated. That kills me. Like she can't even love her. She feels like she can't even love her kids the way she wants to love them because she might get sent away. And she wants to love them like that. And then she like literally pulls herself out of there and has to come in the other room and like, it's so heart-wrenching. It's like turn after turn after turn. And at the end when she is pushed again to her limits because it's like enough. And then the dad hits, Peter Falk hits her in front of the kids, which is unforgivable. And I just, I, I the kids start protecting her. Whew. Whew. And then when she's putting them to bed, finally, at the end of the night, all those kisses to those kids and the way they keep kissing her face. Oh, my God. It's too much. It's too much. And I don't feel like you see that in other movies. I can't think of a lot of other movies that show motherhood like that. And that's what it is. I mean, it's not all of that insanity, but it is when your children at night are calling you mama, mama, and they will only take you and how exhausting that is. But at the same time, you're so lucky to have that. And if they kiss you like that all over, it's, I don't think you see women and motherhood that raw um, enough. Anyways, now I'm sobbing in our own podcast. If that doesn't tell you how much I love this too long movie. In talking about it, we waited to talk about it until just now. It's certainly given me a lot to reconsider about it and maybe revisit it at some point again, because I certainly there are certain there are other Cassavetti's things that I've seen and and have appreciated. A lot of times his other things I have this, a similar take of boy, this is too long. This is a little too self-indulgent. Like this doesn't need to be two plus hours long. But again, I think the, there's kind of a, a fundamental value in having those pictures made for, for what seeds they plant for other people. So that alone to me, I think, was 
of value in watching that and certainly, you know, reconsidering what my own biases might be in terms of how how I root for characters in a movie. I think it's I would like to maybe watch it again and try to without some prejudices in place, maybe. Well, you know, I'll be here to do it. <laughs> And I would say to everyone out here who's watched, or you're going to go like, oh, I got to go watch a woman under the influence. I mean, all of, I love all his movies, but I would, I also think opening night is a fantastic movie. And if this is not uh, linear enough, which it is not. So don't go in thinking it will be opening night. I think is much more so. Um, and to me, I don't, I should read about it more, but opening night kind of reminds me a little bit of a, um, a to me, an homage to uh, Bergman. It has a Bergmanish feel to it to me a little bit i don't know i love it it's a great movie so i would say and as you said gloria is another one of his yeah you know i didn't realize that he directed that when yes. i saw it i just knew that it was a to me that's a jenna Rollins movie yeah i mean yes it is it is and that's 1980 i'm glad you watched it and you know we're not all always gonna love everything Right. It keeps it interesting and keeps it going. So, but I think also, you know, in having the conversation about it, it has inspired on to, to some degree, I mean, you know, not tonight, not tomorrow, but uh, to revisit that movie again and try to set aside whatever preconceived notions I, I have about it and try to sort of watch it from different eyes. Cause I'm, I'm not against that movie. I'm, I'm now intrigued to sort of see it again. So that's, that's a nice bonus of, of traveling down these roads. It is. If you want to follow Jessica Eason online, you can find her on Instagram at jessica.eason.agency. It's a cutting-edge casting agency that's taking your submissions for shows that might be on now, might have once been on and are no longer on, but maybe they're going to reconfigure them because in this quarantine, who knows? If you'd like to follow me online, you could find me on Instagram at James underscore Eason underscore music. I play a pandemic song of the day on my saxophone. Just the song, no jazz solos to endure, and sometimes adorable interruptions by children. If you'd like to follow the podcast, you can find it on Instagram at last one to the party podcast. You can find us on Twitter by searching last one to the party. And if you'd like, you can send us an email to last one to the party podcast at gmail.com. The podcast is produced and edited by me, James Eason. The theme music is composed by me, James Eason.